0: Alright, Queeros, it is time for Best of 2023 Part 2. This episode featuring clips from guests Melanie Field, Ashley Ray, and Emma Wilman. You might know Melanie from a little show called The League of Their Own. You might know Ashley from her amazing podcast, TV I Say. And you might know Emma as a super talented stand up comic. Hey, thank you to the folks who support this show on Patreon, including Jennifer Grindy. Benjamin, Robin Moxley-Beck, Ethan Peterson, Tina Herman, Kevin Fry, Chloe Vicker, Audrey Rauer, Leslie Goditis, Tanya josek Stacy, Chantel McClellan, Katie Gagliardo, Rachel Hannah, Jackson Carr, Bobly Dalmer, Jessica Lustig, Eliza Dornbush, LaVon Sawake, Fiona, Catherine Michaels, Rebecca Reed, Brenda Esposito, Amy A., and B. Aaron Talbot. As always, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Please enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm, I'm darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless.
1: I don't think I really ever imagined myself being on television. I mean, it was a goal that came later in my life anyway. I was very much theater and musical theater focused um, for most of my life, but I didn't really have any reason to think that I would end up on TV because I just didn't see anybody who looked like me, and it was just not in my, on my radar. So when I did start working in television and I, and you know, a show like league of their own comes up. Yeah. It's at first, first and foremost, I was grateful that they were open to having diverse bodies on there. Um, on the show, because I think it's important. And second, it was really important to me that, that, that it, that it not be written anywhere or, or even like hinted at anywhere in the script that Joe had any complexes about her body because one, she doesn't Two she's a fierce athlete. She's really, really good at what she does. She's strong and she's powerful and talented. And I just wanted that to be at the forefront and they were in complete agreement with me on that. Um, so it was important to me that she be a figure of positive fat representation, as opposed to, you know, what we'd seen, have seen so much in our industry, which is Not that.
0: Yeah, she's Um, sexy. Like, she's supposed to be sexy and desirable, which I love. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. She's wearing a short skirt, which, like, obviously, the fact that they had to wear skirts is bananas. But, like, love that she's wearing a short skirt and, like, showing off her bod. Also, baseball is legitimately one of those sports where there are diverse body types. Like, that's not true in basketball because folks are, like, it's just the body type (laughs) is so, 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 so tall and skinny. Um, Yeah because the whole point of that is like running the fuck up and down the thing but in baseball because because brute strength can be part of it mm-hmm. you know there are folks who like don't look like basketball players you know mm-hmm. and um so it makes sense that that would exist in a baseball context like it yeah. also is helpful
1: to that 100% you know so i think too. i think as far as like you know there there is an element of there there's a moment in one of the episodes where she gets like haggled by the, or heckler heckled by the guy in the crowd. And he says something about her losing weight. And I was okay with that because I'm like, you know, it is, it is okay if it, but I really, really want to be careful about how she reacts to it because I don't want it to read that Joe is like wounded by this or that she's like, you know, I think she's pissed. She doesn't want anyone saying shit about her, but it may be historically accurate that at that time, they would pick that thing to make fun of her yeah. for and that that's okay. It's just more to me about how she interacts with her body and she interacts with people who are interacting with her body. Um, and I really felt strongly about that. And luckily I had a ton of support on that and it was, it was relatively easy to do cause she it was written She was written that way. And, um, and that always felt really authentic, uh, to play her that way in, in my body. Um, it was, yeah, it was like a real honor, honestly, to be able to do that.
0: Man, that's so rad! I love that. We gotta change. We gotta change the world, you know? <laughs> yeah, baby. I mean, that's for real. Yeah. Little ways. Yeah, it's a very big deal. Um, you know, I mean, I certainly don't mean to speak out of turn if this is something that like you're interested in, but certainly we've seen a lot of examples of folks who like get to a place in their career and then change their bodies. Like, I think mm-hmm. that you know, like I'm thinking of Rebel Wilson or like. Mm-hmm oh my god, I can't remember that guy's name who used to star in Mike and Molly, and he recently had, like, gastric bypass. Now he's on the Mm -hmm. show, like, Bob Hart's Abishola, and he looks drastically different than he used to look, and he's been on TV for, like, I don't even know, decades or something. I don't know how long that show ran, but, like, to sort of be established as a certain body type and then change that is Mm -hmm. you know, certainly a message. Um, I think so. I think so for sure.
1: I mean, it's it's a it's a tricky subject because I believe in body body autonomy. I believe that people get to do with their bodies whatever they want to do with their bodies. And if that means that you are a certain weight and you would like to do what you need to do to lose that weight, whether it's, you know, extraordinary means or not, like that's up to you. It's not I'm not going to sit here and tell you not what to do with your body. But I do think that we as a society And I think also people who are in the public eye, it's important for people who are, who are seeing that to understand that that's a choice, but it's not the only choice. And to also understand, like, I think there's a little bit of a, um, I think it's dangerous to this sort of, it's a bit of a Hollywood shrinking phenomenon, um, is kind of how I've been seeing it. Like, it's dangerous for to allow everyday people to think that that's easy to do in a lot of cases it requires a lot of money a lot of time a lot of resources um extraordinary means and i think to to sort of send any message that's like i did it so you, therefore you can too um can be dangerous i mean and it can and it can contribute to people people's already you know triggered responses to weight (laughs) to weight loss you know there's a lot of shame there's a lot of um you know uh, it's people have it is very very common for someone in a bigger body to feel like what's wrong with me that I can't just lose the weight like what you know that kind of messaging so I think it's not so much like people who are losing weight shouldn't I do think you should do whatever you want but I do think it's important to acknowledge the messaging that it sends and like to be to be ahead of that is important
0: that is just so well said i love everything that you said and like thank you for sharing that i mean the thing that really stands out to me, i'm thinking about like cuz that's true this is like the first time i've ever seen anybody talk about this <laughs> um was honestly channing tatum um i don't know he like recently did a an interview for like the new magic mike And somebody was asking him, I think it was Kelly Clarkson. He was like on that show. And she was like asking him about, and by the way, Kelly Clarkson is someone who was pressured to change her body. Um, And she was asking him and he said like, very honestly, just so you know, like people shouldn't look like that. It's not just that Mm. it was hard. It's actually that it was unhealthy. Like what I had to do to look like that for my body was um, Like, starving myself, and... I mean, I've even been... I've actually been in a movie where somebody, a dude who had, like, a pretty ripped body, was talking about a shirtless scene that he had to do. And, I mean, I didn't know that if that's what's if that's what you're being... If that's what somebody's buying, uh-huh. I didn't know that he was fasting on water. Um, Because it, like, sucks your skin towards your muscles and i didn't even know that was a thing like because i nobody's yeah uh, i haven't been i haven't been yet hired for the job where people are interested in my abs but i really appreciate what you're saying you know the money involved the time involved and the like unhealthy sacrifices for anybody that's like displaying um right uh aspirational
1: well, we also live in a in a society that I think applauds weight loss by any means. There's no there's no real you if, if you lose weight, you therefore are applauded, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a certain weight bracket to start
0: mm-hmm. with
1: no knowledge of how you did it, whether it was healthy for you, whether you were suffering from an eating disorder, whether you were very ill. Like it's just like weight loss equals good. So therefore, you're applauded. And I just don't, I think that that is a very dangerous, dangerous um, message for people to continue to receive over and over again. Just as someone who is rec- a, a recovering from an eating disorder for my whole, basically my whole adult life, like, it, it is dangerous. I mean, the the statistics, mm-hmm. eating disorder statistics are are staggering. And that's just the ones we know about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, disordered eating is, is staggering. And, and I I think, look, again, not everybody who is in the public eye may feel a call or responsibility to be an advocate. I am somebody who feels that way. I always have. Um, I feel, I do feel like I have a responsibility and I, I have a responsibility to share my experiences, to advocate for others who are like me, that's not the case for everybody. And I think mm-hmm. you know, in some re- in some ways I've seen recently like with celebrity weight loss, you know, even the the fat community feeling very sad or betrayed or up in arms and it's like well we wouldn't be so sad every time we like lose another fat hero if there were more fat heroes.
2: <laughs> like yeah. the
1: reason why. That's right. And and I I can't I'm I'm human. I can't deny that like I was I felt a certain type of way when I saw that Adele had lost weight, when I saw that Rebel had lost weight. It wasn't that I I wanted to tell them that they couldn't. It was just I thought that that was someone we had. You know, we had that one who was talented and successful and powerful and and beautiful and in their body and all that. And now we don't have that. Like they're we lost them. It is, yeah. it does feel like a loss. It really does to the community. Um, but it is tricky. It's really tricky because I am not going to tell anybody what to do with their body. Totally. That's, that's just the facts. and And I don't know their stories or their, or anything going on with them. So I think it's just important that we continue to for me, it's representation really does matter. And it's important that we continue to lift up people, um, you know, in diverse body types so that the population, which is primarily people who fall into this category, feel seen and heard and celebrated and not alone. That to me is the work, not so much policing, whether a fat celebrity wants to lose weight or gain weight or, yeah. or, or weight in general should never be a headline. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> it yeah. just never needs to be a headline. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's really important to me. I've hung a lot of my ambitions and my own work on that on that sort of advocacy um, goal.
0: So. You know, well, thanks again for sharing all that because I do think it's super important to talk about it if folks are open to it. You know, like, and yeah. I know as you're saying, it's not like we have to. And not everybody has to f- fly the flag. Like that's, yeah. you know, there shouldn't be pressure on that either. But I wanted to like give space if that was something you wanted to talk about. And. Yeah. Um, I'll say, you know, something else that just to point out, you know, how specific this conversation is, when folks in Hollywood or in the public eye like get shit done to their faces, for instance, mm. we don't have them sit on a couch and and applaud the stuff they've done to their face and and talk about it, you know, and I and obviously like also. There can be a zillion reasons why somebody makes this choice, as you're saying, you know, like right to, to change their size, like for for whatever reason. Like, and yeah, that's not usually true in the same way for something like cosmetic surgery. But just for folks that are doing it because they feel pressured, that's the same yeah. reason folks are doing this other thing. Yeah, and yeah. that is really shamed. You know, so we really do put like weight in a special category in terms of. Yeah. Part
1: it. of it is because weight and health have become yes. these two kind of interchangeable Conflicted. terms yeah. and and it's not they're just simply it's simply just actually scientifically not true that you can know somebody's health level based on their weight um and that is a, a myth that i i think we are starting to bust and like even medical professionals who In my experience, have consistently not been good for this cause. Are starting to come around and say, "Okay, these are these things are 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 not have become conflated." Um, Yeah, and so I think the we're a health obsessed culture. We're also a health policing culture, right? We think that we can tell people, particularly fat people, are health policed more than any other group because it's like you, I have a right to tell you because it's unhealthy, and that somehow gives me a, a right to make a comment. So I think until those two words really can exist separately. And we can acknowledge that you just can't determine someone's health based on their weight. And on top of that, whether or not I am healthy by your standards or medical standards or whatever standards does not therefore give you a right to have bias against me, discriminate against me, prejudice, treat me like shit, tell me what to do, call me names. Like, my health does not determine whether or not I'm worthy of self-respect. Oh, um beautiful. <laughs> and respect from you. So I think those are some things that we still are definitely working on. And and I I think it's about like getting the information out there, people who have a voice, like using it. Um, but I think that's why you're seeing like it it's it's applauded because people think that it's means you're healthy.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. And I want to ask you about something that you just said, which is that yeah. you've received um, some negative attention from medical professionals. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think that's something that maybe we don't talk about as much as we should. I mean, it's that's also true for, say, for instance, for black women, where there's mm-hmm. like, there are statistics about like who gets to have pain medication while giving birth. And it's like yep. white women are trusted more than black women and that is fucking wild and it's because yeah. we have been taught that like black folks in this country are trying to get away with something and trying to get away with drugs and trying to get away in it's yep. like, in that context to police someone in that way is so fucked so anyway you know i i think i just think this is like it, it's certainly it's certainly something we sp- like compared to 20 years ago I see people sort of talking about it but you know I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more as much as you want to yeah yeah about your experience
1: I think you know the medical I think we at least I'll speak for myself like you know there is like that white coat syndrome I think a lot of people have like this is someone who is very well educated knows way more than I know and like I used to get nervous going to the doctor, period. I mean, when you're a kid, you go and you're sick. Like, that's, it's a scary place. You don't want to go there. Like, right. there's that element of it. But, um, you know, there is there is bias, unconscious and otherwise, in all individuals, even doctors. So um, my experiences have been, I, I have had to, more in recent years, I would say, just really lay out boundaries with my doctors. Um, part of that has to do with being very clear from day one what my sort of health concerns or goals are um typically those are independent of anything related to weight and then be very clear about advocating for myself in the moment like you know if if weight is necessary at, if if you if you want to weigh me at my appointment that's up to me or up to me whether or not i want to know the number um i had an, an interesting experience recently where i went to the doctor and um and did height and weight, which I usually won't do, but I did it. And everything the doctor does is through this app. Cause it's like a of, kind of new age thing. Anyway, I got these email, th- these in, these sort of auto-generated messages that's like your healthcare plan. And it was like, um, some of the things she and I had talked about. And then there was one that I got that was just like an automated BMI mm-hmm. um, message. Right. That basically was like your weight and health ratio or height and height ratio puts you in a BMA, BMI of blank. And it was clearly just a generated response. Like, And it was telling me that I should consider um, losing weight, that if I couldn't, I should consider going on this prescription drug. If I couldn't do it, then I should consider bariatric surgery. It was clearly just like an automated message that when a BMI is triggered, it gets sent out. And I lost my shit. I wrote my doctor the longest letter in that app. And I was like, this is at at best, like an overlook situation. At worst, this is irresponsible. This is irresponsible doctoring because this is what this message said to me. Do you realize like, you're my doctor. Do you think I should consider bariatric surgery? Honestly, because this is just getting... Pushed out to anybody who falls in this BMI, which is a completely outdated, by the way, like measure of health. And like it it was basically every every one of my like worst nightmares when it comes to like doctors and how they relate to weight came out this thing. Anyway, we ended up having a great back and forth about it, and and um and and a good dialogue about it. But it was something that I just couldn't believe, you know, was being just blasted out based on you know your BMI. And it's things like that where. You know, I've done a ton of work, therapy and otherwise, to get to a place where I can even talk about these things and advocate for myself without breaking down. So many people don't aren't at that place. And they're mm-hmm. getting those automated messages, too. Mm-hmm. And they're getting those automated messages. And instead of saying, hey, I've done the research and this is fucked up, they're saying, okay, well, I guess I should consider bariatric surgery. And it's like, it's those people that I care about that I, that I want to you know, to, to help or reach with any messages that I have, because I've learned to advocate for myself and that's taken years and years and years, and I'm still working on it. Um, And there are people who don't have that strength right now or don't have that support. Um, So that's unfortunate. And there's still, unfortunately, a very long way to go, um, even in, even in the medical field.
0: And also access, right? And I know I'm not but like oh my you God, know, it's not just like strength and support, it's like access, you know, and access. yeah, and that's a huge thing. and you know, I guess what I'll say is that, um, and again, like so appreciated how much you're sharing on this, you know, a way that I can relate is in um, doctors responding to my gender, you know, and like that is really tough. Um, you know, it took me till I was 27 to go to the gynecologist. And it took me till I was 39 to go to the gynecologist for the second time. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, (laughs) that's, you know, that's, that's really something. And, um, Mm -hmm. I also have a primary care doctor that like, honestly, is pretty good. And yeah, it was rough. A couple, I have recurring back pain, like chronic back pain and, um, shoulder pain. And it's, it's like stress induced and like, um, I have a bit of like a hunch even like my spine is like a little Mm -hmm. um curved Mm -hmm. and you know I do so much work on this to like reduce my pain but it's rough and I was talking to my doctor about this and looking for a referral for a possible like breast reduction because um I can't figure out what else to do you know Yeah, yeah I'm not making that choice right now but I was just asking for a referral and my doctor looked at me and was like I don't know your breasts aren't even that big and. That is the thing a doctor said to me.
1: <laughs> I know. My God. <laughs> Which
0: is like, get the fuck out of here.
1: Mm-hmm. This is
0: like a straight cis dude also, by the way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who honestly like has good connections to other people I like. So I didn't immediately switch. Like I, I stuck in there, you know, he sees my wife too. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. You know, it's complicated, a complicated health situation. And this is a hub for her. And like, it's helpful for this guy to know both of us, whatever. But like, that is so fucked. It's fucked. It's
1: fucked. And to, and to be, for it to be like your responsibility in that moment to like have the emotional and mental wherewithal to advocate for yourself is like Mm -hmm. really hard. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, you shouldn't be put in that position, period. You know? And like, it's, that's wild that's totally wild i'm so sorry i'm no, like I we're mean, laughing because it's oh unbelievable. God, it's but like, too much but like it's hard i mean look I it's think, hard i think i think that it is about learning how to advocate for yourself even in scenarios or with people who you you perceive have authority over you and i think doctors are definitely that um and in some ways, that's good, right? Like, they, they, they have studied. They do know more than I do about certain things. Um, but just not being afraid to advocate into for yourself in that moment is, is, the, is the challenge. It's very difficult.
3: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on!
0: Here's a question. Do I know this? Are you from Chicago?
3: I am, yes. Uh, that's We're where I from started. You're from Chicago. Uh, I lived in Logan Square. Like, all pretty much the whole do time do I know you from
0: that time
3: I don't so, think so no right? I moved there 2013 and oh I
0: moved here in 2012
3: yeah I was gonna say you had just left because I started doing stand-up at Kohl's and that's like where I started like that was my first open mic and Sarah Sarah, Sarah Sherman Sarah Squirm who's now SNL big star uh, and Beck O'Neill they were the new hosts who had come in like right after you I think <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that is a mic that I started. Yeah, I started that mic, and it's still going um, strong. I was just there last month. <laughs> yeah, it's still going strong. I felt very proud of that because a lot of people came through that mic. Oh yeah, the like stand-up class that called Femcom that like yes. still runs. Also that was like fed that mic and sort of changed the demographics oh of absolutely the open mic scene in Chicago
3: yeah like I um, only started doing stand-up because I was doing like spoken word like I do uh the mm-hmm. uh Uh, paper machete and like that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, And just do a lot of like like reading short stories. And then Sarah saw me one time and was like, you know, you're funny. You should just like stick to the jokes in your stories. You should come to my open mic. And I was like, I don't know. I've been to some open mics in Chicago and they're so like guy heavy and just like not great. And she was like, I always just put the girls up first. Like if you're a girl, if you're a person of color, you're gonna go up within the first hour at Cole's open mic. And I did. I went and just immediately fell in love with it. Like I still remember my first first time on the Cole stage. And I think just telling like little baby gay jokes and being like, I knew I was gay since I was born in a flannel or whatever bad material I had (laughs) back then. Tell me about the first time you
0: performed there.
3: Oh my God. Yeah. Like I, I'd been going a while. Like I scouted it out, you know, Cole's open mic is legendary in chicago now i mean like hannibal burris will show up uh tim meadows like actually was there the night that i first did it he just was like in the neighborhood and sarah finally was like you're doing it i'm putting you on the list tonight you're gonna do it and i was just like i'm not ready i'm not ready i was like i've only written like two jokes and she's like you only get like three minutes so it's fine (laughs) uh and she put me on the list i remember going up uh, i had a joke about a guy who masturbated in a McDonald's and then a joke about like being gay and making out with my My Size Barbie. Uh to both of which I still tell in my set actually.
0: <laughs>
3: and oh my God, I just like Barbie. I loved it Coles now it or maybe it always has been this way. It's very like a young crowd of like college yes. students. It's like not far from uh the DePaul bus like on Fullerton Fullerton so like a lot of college students come and I just remember all these drunk college kids laughing so hard. I am sure I was not that funny. <laughs> I'm sure they were just very yeah. drunk because it's Kohl's. Uh, but just that energy and being like, oh, my gosh, people are supporting me. And then if you know Kohl's open might, like all the real comics like stand in the back and kind of judge you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know if this it was like, like that when you made it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. Well, so my sister was a dancer in Chicago. Um, and she had her own dance company and so I used to go see a ton of modern dance cause they would be in like festivals, they'd have performances, but oftentimes, I mean, sometimes they'd have like a full show that was theirs, but a lot of times it would be like a combination of all the people who were yeah. dancing in the city, you know? And, um, from there, it's like, so I was like, I did like some, I did some queer art stuff, you know, like I would like show up and do like queer art things, but because, my sister was in the dance scene and she's a little older than me. Um, I would go to those shows all the time. Those people start to know me. And then I was like in that friend group too. And from there, that's like, I eventually joined the circus because there's like, there was like a overlap of circus performers and dancers. And so like, I got to tour with a circus company, which was really amazing. And then another side of that is that my, one of my sister's friends from her dance company uh, Leah Rafanti, shout out to Leah, also a union organizer for teachers in yes. Chicago. Um, she had this friend uh, from, from I think, college? High school? I literally can't even remember because it's so many years ago. Coleman Bryce. Oh, my God, um, Cole. So, yeah, the Cole. Yeah, so I Cole knew of Cole. Cole. Yeah, and at that time, he was working a corporate job, and he slept on a mattress on the floor. Um, and he saved like you have- all of his, he spent like no money. It is a while like-
3: to imagine Cole that way. When like my time in Logan square, everyone called him like the daddy of Logan square. Like he was this yeah. like biz, like it was like, he owns Coles. He's such a big deal. No, he was like
0: 23 or however <laughs> old we all were, you know, and he was sleeping on a floor and his dream was to open a bar. And at that time, this area of Chicago was now some of this involves, some gentrification because yeah. that area was really changing. It's like historically, um, there are a lot of Puerto Rican families there, yeah. you know, like
3: a lot it's of Mexican like a, families yeah, a there. a huge Mexican-Puerto Rican area. Yeah. My stepdad grew up there, so that, like, I used to go there as a kid and he would be like, this is dangerous. And I remember when Logan Square Auditorium opened... I was in like oh, yeah. sixth grade and Andrew Bird was doing a show there. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta no. go see Andrew Bird. And he was like, Logan, uh-huh. that's a dangerous little area. I'm not letting you go over there. Right. <laughs> and now and he, like, I'm like, if you saw it today, you'd be like, what is happening? Like, what are these little brunch spots? Like, there's right. little neighborhood festivals.
0: Yeah. Logan Square, Square Auditorium. At the time I'm talking about Logan Square Auditorium, was like throwing a few shows. There was a restaurant called Lula that oh, existed. Yeah. Um, That still exists. It still exists and still very good. And other than that, um, it was was a place that was, especially on this particular strip of Milwaukee Avenue um, that is between train stops because the L in Chicago runs right through this area, there was a particular strip that was having a hard time supporting businesses. So like folks, because it was like far enough from... Yeah, the train folks weren't like supporting a ton of business in this area so there was some like empty storefront sort of a thing and so that is where cole decided to open his bar and there weren't a ton of other places around and so he was looking for a place to like a way to attract um patrons and again like like this is like the Many of the things we've talked about so far, this is complicated, right? Because he was opening a business and, you know, he's a white man. He's opening yeah. a business that will partially change a neighborhood, but also yeah. there weren't businesses that were.
3: Yeah. I think it, um, probably the only things there that time were like uh, Dos Amigos, that like uh, taco place that was right down from yep. Kohl's that was there for a long time. And then like the yep. two way, which is like yeah. the diviest dive bar in the world where they those were like the yeah. two thriving businesses <laughs> and right everything there else were a was few just, like bodegas empty. yeah some bodegas um,
0: but, but besides that there really wasn't there were like weren't a ton of businesses able to survive in that area so yeah. he um was looking for a way to like this is so funny too for anybody that like has any context for stand-up comedy but i a young upstart was like I know exactly what could bring business into your bar. An open An mic. open
3: mic. <laughs>
0: and like open mics are not. They don't make money. Like, anything. Yeah. But I had a mem- membership in these different communities, like the dance scene, these circus scene, the queer scene. And I was teaching a class um, and for folks who were for women who wanted to do stand-up. And now it also includes, like, non-binary folks. Yeah. Um, Uh, But I I had all these people to actually invite. And I think most people that had mics, they don't have, like, a built-in group of people to invite. Yeah um and so that is part of like what made it kind of awesome yeah because most people start their
3: mics so they can get their own stage time (laughs) yeah 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 and so like yeah and i i feel like cole's always like maintain that vibe of like this is the place where like you go to try it it's more diverse you're not gonna show up and see like 10 white guys like doing the same joke it's like every new host that like took it over maintained that and was like no i am gonna bring diverse comics in i'm gonna make this like an event and also a kind of hey you never know who's famous it might show up uh so that it truly still to this day is like probably cole's like biggest event every week like wednesday at cole's for the open mic it'll be packed it's gonna be packed until close at 4 a.m cole's a 4 a.m bar now (laughs) i didn't know that holy shit dude it's a 4 a.m so like yeah no and they do yeah we went
0: till 2 yeah, wow. they do the okay. open
3: mic until like three something. And it used to be bad when you would get that like 1 a.m. slot. Getting the 2.30 slot is I, just kudos to the comics making it today because <laughs> that would not be me. I would be like 2.30, I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm not doing this.
0: I know. But I mean, I used to go to the 4 a.m. bar after hosting that to The like Continental? Which one? <laughs> decompress, yeah. which by the way is. Stupid, just go home. But yes, anyway, I was I just, would like do riding that. my <laughs> bicycle. Like my, you I just, too. Like, I would
3: just bike up and down Milwaukee. Oh, I would go to the wrong. Al or the Continental after like doing a bunch of shows and be like, now I can relax. And it's like, why am I still just drinking with comics? I should just go home and sleep. Oh, uh, no. But like. It created this little camaraderie like you kind of knew yourself as like a Coles comic like I knew yeah. I was like a Coles comic like oh you know I didn't hit the open mic at the laugh factory where it's just gonna be like a bunch of dudes you know and it made me really funny like it's such a good place wow. because at the back of the room you have all of these legit comics yeah. who have made it in Chicago sometimes people like come in from New York they go to Coles like you know, that's yeah. where everyone goes. And you would get off stage, walk through the back. And, like, if you got even one head nod from, like, one of the legit totally. comics, it was like, I did it. I did it. Okay. Well, right.
0: Yeah, because I also had, I also had like, access to those folks, too. So yeah. the reason I was, like, telling this whole story is because you were like, <laughs> were there comics always in the back of the room? And the answer is fucking yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I would invite anybody I opened for to... um come through and like people did like reggie watts did or you know like like tim meadows did when when i was there and all those folks and um bobcat goldthwait and like all these folks that it like made a difference so the reason i'm saying all of this is number one i can't fucking believe that i'm like so i feel so proud and like
3: so truly i would not do comedy without you and that's why i was so excited to do this like this is so cool I'm and...
0: like I'm like red in the face. <laughs> no, that's so that's so cool. like it
3: still is the award winning spot to do comedy in Chicago. Victoria Vincent, who hosts it now, she just got like yeah. new faces at JFL unrepped like <sighs> it's the way to go. It's such a like wonderful establishment and Cole sold it. He doesn't own it anymore. Uh, but you know, he just sold it to like two people who had been bartenders there for like 12 years. So it's like oh still God. in the family.
0: <laughs> oh my God. And I know Victoria, like I know everybody who's hosted their since because when I go to Chicago, there's usually the people who open for me. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool. It does feel, um, it does feel really important to me. And I think part of why this feels so relevant to this podcast, um, like to query specifically is that i think so much stupid lip service has been paid to the idea of cancellation cancel culture to like to i mean i'm even thinking about like recent decisions around affirmative action or yeah. you know in the supreme court and i just think about how i i i so rarely hear folks talk about the massive benefit to an entire scene to an entire industry to i mean college admissions to to any how much it like raises the bar yeah. for a scene when people are talking about different shit exactly and it also makes the c- other comics like it makes white dudes more interesting if yeah. they're broken this is what i used to say oh yeah to dudes when i would break when i would Because, like, people would get there really early to sign up, but I would tell dudes to their faces, like, I just want you to know when I um, put, like, a woman of color or, like, queer person, non-binary person, like, in front of you, it makes you more interesting because you're going to talk about some of the same shit that that guy talked about. Yeah. And so, like, please allow me to give you an open... Yeah. stage where you're not fucking drowned out by the other dude who just talked before you
3: who just talked to you before you about the same news topic and it just like expands your world i felt like the like white guy comics who and there i mean when i was coming up there was like a group of like white dude comics and even just like a group of like black dude comics who were like we're the guy comics who hold it down at Coles, <laughs> you know but even they were sure. just like approach things with more like openness like they would come to like you know the women or queer people and be like hey what do you think of this tag like do you think like this works do you think Mm. this makes sense should I change the wording on this and it just like you know those are still the people that I consider like my comedy community that I like hit up when I'm like hey I'm stuck on this you know and it's all people that I'm like oh yeah we've been doing shows at Kohl's together for like eight nine
0: years (laughs) wow that's amazing yeah yeah and and wow like what a what a gift um You must have been to those to those folks. Uh,
3: I like to think so. I think now, yes, and at the time, I mean, the comedy scene in Chicago is very competitive because it's so small. Uh, You know, there's. Very, like, isolated scenes, but if you choose the, like, I'm a Logan Square comic, I do Coles, I do alt comedy in Chicago, you know, you're very, like, relegated to that part of the city. Like, you're not probably going to book stuff on the south side where they're, like, we book black comics. You're probably not going to get stuff in, like, Wrigleyville or the Laugh Factory where they're, like, we book club comics. So Mm -hmm. it was this really just, like, little competitive thing where you're, like, okay, we have, like, four stages, you know, there's, like, now the Lincoln Lodge, a few other places, and you're just like fighting for that stage time, and then Coles was like this one space where it's like we don't have to fight; <laughs> like we can genuinely Whoa. just like try jokes here. Uh, and then as soon as we walk out of Coles, we'll snicker behind our backs and be like, "That so and so is not funny. How come they got Lincoln Lodge?" So,
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like I have so many more questions for you, and we we're like at the end. This is like this. You had, this is rough. Like I'm you so have, glad you were we were a
3: lodge. Did you have? like, Did you get Lincoln Lodge?
0: Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was a cast member there for a
3: while. The new Lincoln Lodge is amazing, by the way. If you haven't been yet, it is the spot, kind of. It is really, they turned it around. By the time I was doing comedy, people were like, why would I apply to Lincoln Lodge? It's like a weird place that doesn't even get an audience. And now it's like, oh, this is like an actual cool thing again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when I, oh God, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but yeah. Oh my God. I have so many other things to say about this. Actually, like, Oh, it's up there. I have like a, I have a coaster in my house of the old Lincoln Lodge that used oh. to be the back of a Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have so many things to say to you about not, well, like Chicago, but I want to hear like your evolution from that to this. We just don't have time.
3: Yeah, we do. Oh, I mean, all we this like to, stuff. And it's part it's, of it is because
0: we talked so much about fucking unions which i love this is such a weird episode of the show (laughs) but it's because i i mean for me i'm so worked up
3: Same. Um, I just like, I truly have spent my whole, like the past, since the strike was announced, like redoing my entire calendar, like figuring out how I'm going to replace. Cause I also do a lot of like hosting panels. You know, I, they, I'm a comic. They'll send me to red carpets, to like interview people and be funny. I go to comic cons and they like have me interview people. And now I'm just like, Oh, that's my, it's all gone. (laughs) That was my job for the next two months. And now what do we do? So,
0: so how do you feel about that? I guess that's the final question they'll ask. Like do you are you feeling um like a sense of like imminent financial stress? I mean, I know yeah that many, <laughs> many people are. I know for me, I'm still trying to f- understand what I can and can't do. It's like yeah. it's still a bit so still so new. Um, How does that feel for you? Yeah,
3: it's like I'm feeling the financial stress. And again, I'm really privileged and lucky because I can still do stand up. I can still do my podcast. I can still do work with the Animation Guild. Uh, We're not on strike, so I can still work on animated shows and I'm I'm figuring out the voice work stuff. It's like, I can still do voice work for animated shows, but I can't for like narration or live Mm -hmm. action stuff. It's like very Mm -hmm. complicated, but it's like, at least I still have some like, you know, like revenue coming in. Uh, But it's still the, I guess right now, the scary part to me is like, when the strike is over, where does stuff land? Like, obviously we're not just going to pick up where we left off. Like we're going to have a- just new slate and a new landscape and it's like, okay, how is this going to work?
0: Yeah. For me, um, I called my sister last night. Uh, and I realized as I was talking to her that I was also having like some fear that related to early COVID days, like because I lost every I was supposed to be on, like, this big book tour, and... Um, oh, yeah,
3: I've, I had so... That was, like, my... I, like, had just done an HBO thing, and I was, like, I yeah. just booked all this stuff. It's about to pop off for me. I got this tour with, like, the Lucas Brothers. I got this. And then yeah. it was just, like, oh, never mind. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is just, like... This is, I mean, truly... So I was doing shows... Um where I would like ask people if they would be willing, like I was supporting, I was doing some donation. I was paying comics and I was also paying myself from shows that I was doing on zoom, like very early. And because I'm queer, like, thank God there was like a generous and interested audience. So like, I was able to uh, support a theater here in LA called dynasty typewriter who Love Dynasty. Oh. I worked with uh, to make a stand up class and like was able to donate a significant portion to them, a significant portion of money to the Lincoln Lodge, actually. Um, and Which the kept comics. them afloat
3: also. Like they had just yeah. moved into that new venue. And I remember them being like, we just moved into a new space. We were going to operate under the assumption of like, hey, we probably won't make much money the first year. Uh, turns yeah. out we're not going to make any.
0: <laughs> I think that even though I'm not under I don't feel the same amount of dread because like you said, I've got other ways of making a living. I think I just feel a little bit of a flashback to that time and some like real fear because of having same. had that experience.
3: Yeah, where I'm just like I've seen it all just like disappear before and I'm starting back at ground zero and you know, I am hopeful. I think that like I think both unions are going to get exactly what they want. I think that you know, finally the the AMPTP is going to realize they can't tell us what to do, that they're not going to break us, and it'll just be like this huge waste of time. Of they could have just met us at the table originally, given us what they wanted, given us what we wanted, and we could have all kept working. And instead, mm-hmm. we're going to like come back. We're going to have these better protections, and it's going to be like what what is even getting made? What are we doing? What is, yeah, so I'm also kind of excited for that, though. I'm also kind of excited to see, you know, I think new voices are going to get opportunities. I'm hoping that, like, the better residuals and larger rooms allow for more queer voices, more people of color to, like, get out there and actually get these jobs, so that's what I'm hoping we see when this is all over, and I'm going to be an optimist because I'm a Sagittarius, so. (laughs)
0: last month i mm. was diagnosed with bipolar disorder which it turns oh, out i think i've been living with since i was a child thank you for um, sharing that good for you that's
2: yeah, interesting yeah well
0: i'm trying to you know i'm trying to talk about it on stage a little sure. bit i'm trying to like understand where and one thing that i am as i get comfortable with understanding like what are the symptoms uh, Totally taking medication for the first yep. time speaking to a psychiatrist like uh, all of these new things these new yep. support systems um, one thing I am really like it that's blowing my mind is the way this has hurt me in my mm-hmm. job and also the way this has helped me. So, like, for instance, I think that there have been times when it was extremely difficult for me to function because, like, the mania was and I'm more on the manic side. than I was going to ask
2: because there is a whole spectrum of bipolar disorder. That's right. Which yeah. is really interesting because I don't know too much about it, but I rem- I had this one psychiatrist back and when we were trying to figure out when I yeah. first went on uh, anti-anxiety and depression medication, I had a psychiatrist who he we were like exploring bipolar. So I was like learning about it and I didn't yeah. end up that ended up not being a fit. But it is it's really interesting that the different types of totally. bipolar and bipolar is tough because when you're for someone who's manic, sometimes I know then they maybe don't want to take the meds because they, they feel euphoric.
1: Well I've so heard. here's
0: the here's the interesting thing that I'll say is I so I've bipolar 2 which is like one is the one where like one of the major differences there are some other differences but one of the major differences is like like you might see and hear things that aren't there you know that's like the kind of person who can get stuck in a loop that um, is so and it is is that in the manic phase or in the depressive phase does
2: um, it doesn't matter I can
0: be in both at, to my huh. knowledge that is um, so interesting and that's the, also the one where you might like experience like extreme
2: paranoia um that's so interesting or, you know and delusion that um, is so it's so and, interesting with the mind because it's just right. so in, it's just like to figure out your own mind and what's best for yourself and what works when that's in your mind is it's just very tricky totally
0: yeah because you would have to be able to identify like to I, to right
2: go yeah. seek help for being delusional you have to be able yeah. to <laughs>
0: identify that that's a delusion <laughs> right so two bipolar two is
2: like that's funny um, that's a good thing to talk i think that's really funny that's like i think i'm delusional i'm writing it down i'm writing it down yes you know yeah a lot to unpack here yeah (laughs) and then it's like someone's like you are delusional and you're like oh thank god like yeah yeah. you know
0: (laughs) so bipolar two it's like the major symptoms are like too much energy well and and Mm. like you said there can be um dress people who are there can be people who have like both things sort of the same amount. There are people who have more of a depressive side, or people have more of a manic side, and I have more of a manic side. Mm. And the like mania symptoms are like too focused, too many ideas,
2: uh, can't sleep, like boundless energy. So, like a little uh, ADHD ish, a little bit, a little like, HD, a little ADHD ish. That's how they describe some of the hyperactive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but then do you crash? Yeah. Yeah massive crash yeah massive (sighs) crash and and uh the thing i will say about those symptoms is like Mm. this is also the one where like ceos have it you know it's like Mm. or like create creative folks because you're because you can do a thing the output (laughs) yeah to like the nth degree right um and so i think although i've also felt like i was gonna fucking burst into flames mm. for decades of my life um <laughs> at certain points right <laughs> um i also have massively benefited from this yeah and in comedy that's a good way know? to look at it too and um so an i'm important. curious you know because you like disclose this this part of your life mm-hmm. um you know i wanted to ask you if you have sort of any relate like if that feels relatable to you, if you feel that it's, you know, harmed you or benefited you, like very curious to your thoughts on that about ADHD or anything else you want to talk about in terms of
2: like mental health. I realize that 100%. But one thing that I've really been, that's been like blowing my mind with tracking all this stuff where I was kind of like, oh my God, I just couldn't was I, a lot of my symptoms, like, and it's only been in the past couple years. And in some ways, I think COVID gave me the time to really monitor myself in different ways. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's where I started really taking the time to learn more about brain health and hormone health. But one of the things was where I, where, that I started tracking it was noticing symptoms around my period. So mm. I also, and this one is self-diagnosed, but there's this thing called PMDD, which is premenstrual. Oh, yes. <laughs> Dumped dump, disorder. Yes. And I really should know it because every single thing about it, I was like, I relate to this, couldn't relate more. And it's like the phases of my cycle and it's about two, anywhere from five days to two weeks where my, it's just like the depression, the ADHD symptoms, like stomach problems, everything. And I looked, I was really trying to trace it because I knew like a long, 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 long time ago, like say, I think it was like right after college. I just remember feeling so depressed. And then I would get my period and it would go away. And I was like trying to explain to a doctor. I was like, something's going on with my hormones, but I can track it. And then I would go on these antidepressants and stuff. And I was like, I should probably be on the Assure. But also it's related to my, I know, I don't know what, but like I I can really pinpoint suicidal ideation, like all of these things around my period. And then- tracking that and trying to figure out how like diet and exercise and sleep and trying to like at least be aware of it so when those type of thoughts like come in I can be like okay you're five days away from your period like this isn't like like whatever you it would definitely come in the form of paranoia where I would think I would think um like not someone was like out to get me but I would be like looking for a target of my discomfort. So it would be like, I would, you know, I'm in, it'd be like stirring the pot. Like, and I would think, oh my God, like what relationships did I like cause like problems with, or like what things have I, now that I know that it's like, I can't necessarily trust my thinking around that time. And I think people with ADHD and PMDD, they, the ADHD symptoms are like, exacerbated around it. Mm -hmm. It's made me be like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I, I still hold myself a hundred percent accountable for any actions I've taken, but it was, it's a little bit scary to look back at and try to be like, what, what, you know, just know, it's just scary to think sometimes like, Oh, I wasn't necessarily operating in my best interest, but to the, I relate to that, you know, and you're like, Oh my God. And because you think it's true in the moment and like in the most microcosm sense where I'll look at it is with sugar. So before my period, I'll be like, I want to, and I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke. So I, I, it would be like, I want to just eat sugar, like nonstop and not like have a cookie or it, it's like, I'll be like, I want to be addicted about it. Like take marshmallows into the bathroom and eat them in secret. And then my girlfriend's like, she does, she's like, what are you doing in the, why are you in the bathroom eating the marshmallows? Just come out of the, get out of the bathroom. So starting to realize, oh wait, I'm getting these thoughts around my I don't really want to go into the back, like I don't really want to do like just like kind of like pulling it apart and then saying, you know, giving yourself, okay, you can do this, you're feeling this way because of this. It takes some of you take the secrecy away from your thoughts and the power away. It helps me at least be a little healthier. And I but I with the ADHD, I do think I think it's helped. It has been helpful with career stuff in the sense that I think that from a young age it helped me or I felt like an outsider. So I think that that can help when you're trying to do creative pursuits because you get comfortable with thinking or used to thinking, I feel a little different from what I see. And everybody has their own unique algorithm and thing, but you just get comfortable being like, I'm outside here. And maybe also there's overlap with queer stuff. And then, so then like, as you're doing something that, you know, other people are following their different paths and you're doing something that maybe could be sort of kind of crazy. It doesn't seem crazy to Didn't seem crazy to me because I was like, no, I I see, I could really like zoom out in some ways that I don't know. I know for people that have like, you know, that are neurodivergent, like zooming out, at least for dyslexic, I'm dyslexic too, like seeing, I'll have a harder time with like the little steps, but like big picture thinking that would click very quickly. But then it's been really a matter of like training myself to do the things to get there. Because I think at the end of the day, discipline is, you know. Key. I know that was a little all over the place. But no, it's this because is it's a so lot. I really interesting. Really, it's just it's basically like it's like your whole brain. It's like your whole brain and world when you like find you're like oh my or something like bipolar is is such an interesting one too because that's a real process to get diagnosed because there's so many things that could other you know you need to have a doctor you trust yeah and I don't know for you. Like in the past, I remember when I would see when I would seek out help, it would be when I was in like in a bad place. So then I wouldn't really be like yes. <laughs> looking at like is this uh, doctor yes. Yeah. <laughs> like where I'm like, fuck, I need help. And I, I uh-huh. wouldn't be I wouldn't be treating the therapist like it was a relationship and thinking, is this a good do- is this a not is this a good doctor for me? And then finally I, I saw an amazing therapist in Boston. And that's when I was like, Oh, okay, seeing a therapist, this is a relationship. Too. And like, for me, I want to see a psychiatrist who isn't going to just push a bunch of pills right away. I want to see someone who's mm-hmm. like the first psychiatrist I saw that was really good was through this woman, Susan. And in the past, I had seen people where I would say stuff and they go, oh, here's this pill. Here's this pill. And this first psychiatrist, I remember I go to see him and I'm like, I'm like, OK, so these are my things. So I've decided I need these pills. And he was like, where did you get this? I go, well, I, I bought a book. And I I went into the um, Harvard because I was in Boston. I was I went to Harvard and I went to their psychiatric section and I read the book, some books there about what people, and he's like probably rolling his eyes. And I was like, and I've decided like, I need these pills. So just, you know, you know, hand it over, buddy. And he was like, I'm going to stop you right there. Like, that's not how it works. Also, we're going to start you on one thing at a time for a couple months to see how you react. And at that time, I'm like a couple months when you're anxious or depressed, a couple months. I'm like, I'm like, what? I don't have a couple months like I'm gonna blow my brains out and then he said this he goes also I want you to start eating organic blueberries from Trader Joe's and drinking this coffee and I was (gasps) like amazing what and he was like how much processed food do you eat and I remember and then now I'm like oh that guy was great but at the time I was like motherfucker like give me the pounds
0: so funny
2: but it's important to have a good person and that's what I realized oh I want something like that how do you feel on the medicine do they start you out on a strong dose or like I don't know exactly how bipolar medicine works yeah so for I mean just to kind of like give the full so right so it's like
0: so it's a mood disorder right, right. I think that's I think that's the one although there are some overlapping symptoms with ADHD um that is a the, differentiation. Mood, the mood stuff is really wild because right. like when I'm up the like level of and this is true for this is like they went through, you know, uh, when going through the symptoms, I was like, oh, shit. Um, right. But when I'm up, it's like I feel like the best person in the world who's the most qualified for whatever. It's like this overconfidence.
2: And is it serotonin and dopamine is just firing yeah, away? Exactly.
0: It's essentially like you're doing MDMA. Like right. that's the vibe. And so um, the confidence um, really helped me in stand up. Sure. I'm sure. But then after that confidence after and again, this is like MDMA like this is that's a concentrated version of this experience. Uh, It's like you're you're trying to create that experience. So feeling like, you know, so confident, so happy and then. The crash that happens over, I feel like I'm, like, a piece
2: of shit. The worst person in the world. Does the crash happen right away afterwards? Or, like, could you be high for a couple of days and then it happens? Or it would it, like, happen during the day and then crash at night? I
0: could get stuck up there for months. Really? Um, in, the, in the heightened And would zone. you sleep? No. And it also, it feels completely out of control. Um, and, like, pretty bad. Would
2: you shop a lot or do, like like, would you feel, like, untouchable?
0: No, untouchable. I guess is not the right. I think actually, after a while, it you for me anyway. I started to feel sick. Like I started to mm. not feel good because you're not mm. actually supposed to have that for that. Right. You know,
2: it's like it, that's why yeah. it's a mood disorder. And so, right, um, and not but, sleeping is huge. Not sleeping. Not sleeping is it, alone will fuck you
0: up. I also would feel like I was going to have a heart attack a lot of times, like just really, really bad, especially my chest. And, um, I was managing a lot of it with like using drugs and alcohol and, um, you know, in our field, that's very normalized. Um, you know, you can drive that
2: too. And so,
0: um, (sighs) I, and also another, another symptom is like hypersexuality, which again, like, very normalized in our field. So right. hypersexuality, like even encouraged. Yes. Yes. Using drugs and alcohol to come down. And um I got to a place where I knew I needed to go to rehab, but I didn't know why. Because oh, I
2: relate even, to that. I went to, even, I went to rehab even, before and I didn't know why even, and I lied about why I was in there actually. <laughs> well I want to ask you, what did you say? I I was like embarrassed. So this was the very first time I went was between high school and college. I, I was just I was just always fucked up because at that time it was like binge eating, but then I would drink and smoke pot to like make myself pass out hoping I wouldn't binge eat. Oh. And oh, yeah. it was all related. I had this like really verbally toxic stepmom at the time. I have a new stepmom who's wonderful, but at that time, but it was just like related to lots of things, but that really tipped the scale. And then I had this acupuncturist and she was like, if you're gonna even have a shot at going to college, you have to go to rehab. And when I got there, I said I had a drinking problem, but it wasn't that I was addicted. I was like in a binge eating cycle. So I was never really honest while I was there, but it was kind of, I relate to that where it's like, I knew I needed to go, but I didn't quite know why. And I wasn't really honest when I was in there. So did you end up going to rehab?
0: I did. Yeah. And the
2: thing Good I will say you. is That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the older I... you get, I think the harder it gets. I, I have a family member I'm trying to get to go away. And it is so fucking hard when someone has their whole life. Even though you're like, you have to just step away, but then there's always like I do this, I got to do that. So it, I think it gets harder as you get older.
0: I also have a job, and I'm sure there right, are resilient people who can't do that. But for right. me, um, I was off for a holiday break, and I you should be so proud of yourself. Figured out that I needed to go, and I went the next day because like I Moment made every possible call, and I was just like, I need to go tomorrow, right? Because um, you might talk yourself out of it too. Totally. And also, I was like, I have this very specific uh, window of
2: time. And and I was like, yeah, when can I start? Um, Right. I need to be fixed within two weeks, too. And they're like, it's not how it works, but. Well, I just knew
0: I needed to start the conversation, you know, and like also get fixed in two weeks. But Mm -hmm,
2: anyway, mm -hmm. um,
0: the drugs and alcohol, like for me, it was never um,
2: quantity, Mm. but it was Why? I needed to do Exactly. It. That's and what I, I always say, it's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. Yes. It's why you're doing it. And you know. You know yes. if it's a problem, it doesn't it's not the quantity. That's exactly that's exactly what I believe to be the truth. It's not the quantity, it's why. And anything can be destructive if the why is destructive.
0: That's right. And you know, but I was going in there and I mean, again for stand up, it's like they were like how many drinks a week and I I mean, it's it wasn't like and that doesn't matter, it's, it's why it. Doesn't you're it. it doesn't because matter, it doesn't matter.
2: Because then people, and it's like, we can't diagnose other people, but sometimes like someone will be like, oh, you drink that? I drink this. And it's like, well, I'm not here to diagnose you. But like some, I, I, I it bothers me if someone ever like belittles or downplays anyone else's problem because it's not so much, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's why you're, it's like, I need, I'm doing this because I'm balancing myself out in a way that is not, that is driving me insane. Or whatever. I also already knew
0: I had some fluency with like my addict tendencies toward people and um toward food. Mm-hmm. But I did
2: tough Oh yeah, it really is. It's so you need tough. To eat. You have to eat You need to eat and it's so there's so many things ingrained in our culture that are so toxic with messaging mm-hmm. about food and weight. So you're you're trying to detangle it away from that. Totally. You know. Yeah. And it's like it that's it's very it's complicated and very a sensitive thing.
0: Yeah. And the thing that I like came to is I know I'm an addict. I'm curious to find out like if, and I just, I just don't know it's because it's so early. I don't know if my relationship to drugs and alcohol would change if I am properly medicated. Like I'm not drinking or using drugs right now, but because, because I'm, but for the, 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 drugs i'm on it's not actually prohibited and like what i'm real what i'm sticking with for myself and this is also like a one day at a time paradigm totally is That's like what i was gonna say i don't need to decide for the rest of my life i just need exactly. to decide for today exactly and like that feels great to be in that place um but anyway i went into rehab and like you know there's like this intake questionnaire and you know they pulled me aside as i was leaving actually and they were like hey I think you should be evaluated for bipolar disorder. And like I, you know, um, followed up with like, because I have now I have like a sex therapist and like, That's I mean, it's just great wild. It's fucking I need to wild. Get back. I haven't yeah. been going to a
2: therapist for the past year and, yeah. and a half. And it's I need to start again because I'm leaning on I'm sober. I go to meetings, support yeah. meetings, but I am not seeing a therapist is different. And I need to because there. I think it's like whenever certain problems keep bubbling up. Yeah. Like there's certain things where I'm like, I've hit a wall, like in the way that I talk with my girlfriend, I'll be like the big thing that'll come up and she sees a therapist and she's like, it's not fair. She's like, I'm doing all this work with a therapist and then you're not. And she's right. And she's like, and you know, you're getting therapy almost from me because like I'm relaying our conversations to my therapist and that's not fair. And she's right. But like when I, I always am like, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. And she's like, I'm not saying you did anything wrong. It's like, that's, I need to see a therapist basically. But Yeah. So you've got a sex therapist. It's
0: complicated. And like, I, I also have a regular talk therapist and a couples therapist. And I will say this, that is um, pretty unachievable for most people. Like to be able to go to rehab is expensive to be able to have all this different for, for whatever reason, prior to knowing all this, I just have an insurance plan that is very good in its coverage for mental health. So I think I also honestly, relate to
2: that. I relate to the guilt of seeing therapists too, because I, when I would see therapists and I would say it, I'd be like, but I know a lot of people can't do this. But yeah. so, you know, it's just, it's great that you can and that you can is a gift because you, when well, it's a gift. And then if you decide to, I feel it's like attraction is the best form of promotion. So you working on yourself and being able to pass it on is helps other people too, if you decide oh, yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know. Totally. And, um, and that's great. You're seeing three therapists because even though even though your even though your insurance covers it, you're still taking the time to do it because my
0: oh, that's right. I'm
2: okay. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, I would be. It's a it feels like so stupid, it's shitty to admit, but it's good to get it out there. I'd be like, I can't do that. Like, how how can I see a therapist? I got to do this. I got to do that, and, get it. and it's so stupid. I mean, I'll spend like two hours on Instagram. Easy. You've got what's more important than your mental health? Maximum Fun, a worker owned network of artists owned shows, supported directly by you.